You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. All right, well, now I can't let you down. We'll see. Man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a little bit different view uh, this, this Wednesday than normal. But um, so, yeah, as he said, the first time I've ever been up in the pulpit, pulpit, and I never really saw myself being up here, being the one. I was always the one listening. So, um, so whenever pastor asked me to do this, I had several things run through my mind immediately. And first of which was, how do I say no? But, uh, but unworthy, unqualified, nervous. Uh, but all of those things run through your mind. And uh, where, where does that come from? Maybe a little bit of pride? I don't know. Um, but what I, what I kind of came to is that I've had a few things uh, over reading, specifically Kings. There's just two things I've gotten from there over the last few months uh, that just keep ricocheting inside my mind and that I keep thinking about which I think is conviction from the Holy Spirit. And so, really, I'm, I'm not relaying my message here. I'm just trying to relay where I've been convicted, which is from the Holy Spirit. And so, hopefully, that will be a help for you guys as well. But, um, and as a side note, if you guys are looking to uh, grow and uh, dive deeper into your uh, Bible, I would recommend going through this exercise of preparing a sermon. So... Uh, just pick a topic that you're interested in and then develop a sermon as if you were going to give it because it makes you go deeper and it makes you try to find where people will say, yeah, you said this, but that doesn't make sense. Oh, okay, now I need to make sense of that and go find the other passages. And you just keep going down rabbit holes doing this. So I would recommend that if you get a chance. Um, but uh, it is funny, you know, thinking about standing up here today and thinking back to when I was a brand new believer and, uh, you know, maybe you're like me, and when you were a brand new believer, you knew that uh, you were good to go, that you didn't really need much help. And so this is probably the image, this is a, a real-life image of what I had for myself uh, as far as my spiritual life. Do you have that slide? First picture? Yeah. <laughs> so, so as you can see here, I'm pretty strong. I don't, I don't need much help here. I can pretty much tackle it myself. I'm armed with the armor of God, uh, and I'm ready to directly take on the devil. So I, I pretty much got everything handled, and I don't, need, I don't really need any help from here on. And, and yeah, I know you're thinking it. Uh, my hair was longer back then. But uh, so, so that's kind of where, obviously, uh, that's, that's where I was when I first started. But then I actually started reading the Bible, and then I was like, uh, you know, well, first of all, back whenever I was strong here, I looked at the Ten Commandments, and I was like, yep, got it. Like, maybe a little bit here. Okay, I'll clean that up, and then, and then I'm good. Then I got into the Bible and read what it said, and then I started realizing, actually, more like this. Next picture there. Yeah. So just as a, as a baby's helpless when, he, when they're new without their mother— I was helpless. I did not have the armor to uh, protect myself or go on the offensive or stand up to the devil or take on these battles that, that you would need to do. I was just, I was a baby. Um, and and then, then you start looking at the Ten Commandments and you're like, murder someone? Yeah, I've never done that. Oh, you can't even think, you can't even like not hate someone in your thought. You murdered him. Okay, well, there's, okay, there's, you got me on one. 
Uh, okay, lying, uh, yeah, I guess I've done that. S stealing, I guess so, yeah. Uh, but I've never cheated on my wife. Oh, even lustful thoughts is the same thing. Uh, you got me there too, okay. So now I'm realizing I need a whole lot of help and I'm, I'm weak at this point. So, um, so it's just interesting how you kind of grow. And you, yes, we are to grow out of being babes in Christ and uh, grow in our faith and our strength. But the thing is, is that the more you grow, the more you realize how much more you have to grow, right? So, so it's kind of like this is kind of the perspective I have of myself as I go. Though I grow in knowledge and faith and strength, I still feel like a baby because there is so much more so much farther to go, you know. So we'll come back to this a little bit here in a minute, um, but we'll get to our verse today. So if you'll uh, turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 31 through 33. Second Chronicles 20, 31 through 33. So it says, And Jehosh Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was thirty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and five years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in the way of Asa his father, and departed not from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Howbeit, uh, and then there's the but statement, right? Uh, Howbeit, the high places were not taken away, for as yet people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. So, um, we'll go ahead and pray, uh, and then we'll come back to this. So, dear God, uh, please help these words convey your, uh, your will and your word, and help it strengthen all of our hearts and grow us and land on fertile ground. Uh, may it not be what I desire them to know, but what you desire them to know. Help us uh, take this, learn from it, and grow from it as we move forward uh, in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this verse, when I read through Kings, it's kind of like uh, if you're watching your favorite movie or book or reading your favorite book, and you're going through, and you come to that point where you always hope that the character makes the other decision. And uh, that's how I feel every time I read through Kings. For, for example, in this verse, Jehoshaphat. We move down uh, later, 32. He walked in the way of Asa's father and departed not from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Yes, he's doing it. But the high places were not taken away. And then it's always the but, and it's that, that cliff note that leaves you like, yeah, he did good, except for here. And it's always frustrating because it's like, if you just would have taken those high places, we could have eliminated that verse entirely, and you would have been just good in the, in the eyes of the Lord. Um, so it always kills me. Uh, and, you know, that but tends to kind of negate what comes before it. So... If I always came home and, uh, or whenever I saw my wife or whatever, and I was like, Haley, I love you, but it kind of negates what comes before it, right? So it's kind of like, uh, here's, if in the military they have the Oreo concept, it's like a, a compliment and then a criticism and then a compliment. It's kind of that. It's like, I love you. That's the cookie. But here's the filling. But you're doing great, right? So that but, it always just puts a damper on everything. Um, so we're talking about Jehoshaphat here in this verse. Uh, so just a quick recap of Jehoshaphat. So he was the fourth king of Judah. This is after Israel is split into two 
countries, uh, Israel and Judah. He was one of the good ones, which, of which there were few. Um, and unfortunately, he, during his reign, he aligns himself with Ahab, who is one of the worst ones. And Ahab is up in Israel. He's the king of Israel there. Uh, so he wants to align himself militarily with Ahab, and God punishes him for this alliance because what, what, do, what does light have to do with darkness, right? And so we have Ahab here who's, one of, who's an evil king in all ways, uh, and his wife. Um, and we have Jehoshaphat who is walking in the ways of the Lord, and he's aligning himself with the darkness here. And so God punishes him for that, for that. Um, and then in the end, he's succeeded by his son Jehoram. And Jehoram, he knows how to start a, uh, a reign off right. And he starts by killing all his brothers. Because why would you want competition, right? So kills all his brothers. And then he even takes it a step farther. He says, Dad, I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to marry Ahab's daughter. So now he's not just, it's not just a political alliance. It's a family union here at this point. So, um, so he's going deeper down the wrong path um, than his, his father Jehoshaphat. And side note, that's one of the other uh, big takeaways I took from uh, Kings and Chronicles is the importance of parents in the children's life. And you see that Jehoshaphat, he left this one little door open for the Satan to get in and cause havoc. And what happens to his son? His son takes it even farther. He says, well, dad had that door open. I can probably open these couple more. And it just keeps getting worse and worse until finally the chain is broken by a good king, but then it devolves again. So uh, it's important and urgent as parents that we're setting the right example, closing those doors and providing the foundation for our children growing up. And I think we're all kind of seeing a lack of that foundation playing out right now, right? So, so that's a quick recap of Jehoshaphat, a little bit on his son. Now, our uh, original verse here, it says, and he walked in the way of Asa, his father. So let's take a look at Asa real quick and see how was Asa uh, that he walked after. So in Second Chronicles 14, we go back just a little bit, 14, 2 through 5. It says, and Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Great, but probably the but statement comes next, right? For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves. Okay, well, that's a good start. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Yeah, going even farther, good. Also he took away all of this, out of all of the cities of Judah the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. There's no but statement with Asa here, right? So that, that's kind of the, that's what you would like to have written about you if you were put in history is you just want the good stuff. You don't want the but statement coming after that. So, so Asa did good. His son did good except for, and his son's son did evil, right? So, and what really strikes me is, um, yeah, it's, you know, obviously great that Asa uh, seek, sought the Lord and, and did all the good that he did in the kingdom, but it, that last little part there after the last colon is what stands out to me. It says, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And what it makes me think is, isn't it crazy how things just work out if you play by the rules? If you do what's right, things just work out because God blesses what's right. And who better to lay out the rules for you to follow than the person who made the game, right? So, for example, if I just gave you all a piece of paper 
three dice and a toothpick, and I said, okay, play the game, and then the winner gets to play me at the end, and we'll see who's best. You guys would just look at it all, and maybe you would make up rules that you think maybe this is how it's supposed to be played, but you don't know because you don't have the rule book. So I would need to give you the rule book to be able to play the game to then play me, because you can never beat me if you didn't know the rules that I made the game with, right? Well, you're not going to know what you're supposed to do if you don't have the Bible. And God gives you the Bible, the rule book of life for you to follow. And that's how you can uh, get blessings and do his will and walk in his ways and have written about you that uh, he, walked, uh, he walked in the way, uh, he was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, right? So, um, so the title today is kind of from that but statement there, it's high places. So, um, and we, we want to follow God, but we need to take down those high places. And you might have heard this before, um, but I think it, even if you have, it kind of bears repeating because this isn't just a one-time thing to look at. It's a continuous process that you have to evaluate every day in your own life, and it's kind of tough to find these high places. So, uh, why, why is there so much emphasis on a high place? What is it? Um, and it keeps coming up throughout Kings and Chronicles here. So the high place is basically where pagan cultures, Moabites, Canaanites, went to worship, uh, worship God, or not God, but their gods, other gods, um, and they would give sacrifices and offerings up on, a lot of times it was literally a high place built on a mountaintop or a hilltop, um, but not necessarily. Sometimes it was in a valley, but normally that's what it was, and that was basically just to represent that you were under that God that you're worshiping. You had to ascend to go talk to, converse with, worship that God. So um, it was, it was a, uh, kind of a demonstration of your, um, your level below that deity. So this is where they went to worship Id- uh, idols, false idols. So therefore, it's idolatry. So what is idolatry? Idolatry defined is worship or divine honor paid to any created object. So, obviously, divine honor needs to be given to divinity, not an object, right? Because we're not here to worship an object. We're here to worship God. Um, And so, worship, definition of worship is to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. So, again... We need to devote ourselves to God, not the idol, the created object, the false god. Um, and so when we're looking at this, basically throughout this, um, the equation here is high places equals idolatry. They went to high places to worship idols. This is idolatry. So high places in your life are places that may be uh, ripe for idolatrous uh, outcomes. So... Uh, the problem with high places in your life is a lot of times they start out as good things, or maybe it's just an innocent compromise, or it's a, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this, but it's only for a temporary, it's only for this season, and then I'm going to go back, and then it will start going, getting it right. Um, you know, the problem is, is that those temporary things tend to bleed into more permanent things, and so how many, pastor talks about it all the time, how many churches are closing down post-COVID, and how many people have not returned to church post-COVID, because you got comfortable, you 
you filled that time with other things, and now you're, that's now your habit pattern, and that's what you're doing. So um, it can easily be, easily be a blind spot. And so how are we supposed to know what that is if we can't even see it, right? So what are, what are your high places? So these are things done at the expense of God's time or his will or things that you may be convicted of, but you haven't made that change or taken that step to alter the direction of where you're going. A couple things, just examples that I came up with um, that I think are common and or uh, dangerous to become idols is our jobs. So, and, and again, a lot of these things start out as good things. It's biblical to have a job and to work and to provide for your family. It says that a man who can't provide for his family is worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. And so we are to work and provide for our family. However, it's not at the expense of God or what God has told us to do. So keeping those priorities right is important. Um, and when you're thinking about, because I can see how it would be really easy. Like, I have bills to pay. I need to make this money. I can't, I can't ask off this time to make sure I go to church every Sunday. Uh, but I think a lot of it comes into perspective. So I think a lot about um, eternal versus temporal perspective. And it says life, our life is but a vapor. How much are we going to remember a vapor in the, when you're looking at eternity, right? I think a lot about, you know, I fell off my bike when I was six years old. Okay, I know it hurt, but I don't remember that actual pain. I can't actually feel what that pain was. I know I didn't like it, but looking at it now, it's not that big a deal. But probably when I was six, it was the worst thing in the entire world and the worst thing in my entire life, right? So the, diff the change in perspective puts a different slant on that, uh, the same story and the same interaction. Um, so having that eternal perspective maybe we can trust that God will provide in absent, while we go to church, even though we go to church at the expense of our job versus hoping that God will provide by going to work at the expense of what he's told us to do, right? So another, another uh, one that could be a little sensitive but uh, could usurp that position of God is your children. So again, we're called to raise our children and raise them in, in his ways and his laws and provide that foundation, but I've got three kids, and they're in everything, and I, it can easily slip into, okay, well, we, we want to get her in dance class, but, well, that's on Sunday, so now we can't, we, okay, we'll just skip it for these three months that she does dance, but we'll, we'll go to Sunday night, we just have to skip Sunday morning, um, but now you're putting your children in the top position where God should be, and God should be that priority at this point. So um, what about your computer? Facebook, Instagram, how much time are you spending on that? Uh, are there days that you say, gosh, I am too busy to read the Bible today and pray? Well, on those days, how much time did you spend scrolling through Instagram and Facebook? And so does that mean that you're now placing an emphasis on catching up with social media over reading the Bible and praying and growing in your faith. That could be idolatry. Uh, even further, are you allowing images to come across your screen that maybe you shouldn't, shouldn't be there, right? And if they are, if you, if you are having that issue and they're coming across your screen, I would assume that you're probably convicted that 
eh, that, that shouldn't be. I shouldn't be doing that. So are you listening to that conviction and taking steps to prevent that ha- from happening again? And if you're not, then that could be idolatry because you're placing more of an importance on what you want to do than what God says to do. So uh, government, especially nowadays, uh, are you placing your hope or hopelessness in the government versus placing your hope in God, right? And if the government only has power that God has given them and he has appointed them to their positions, then he is still in control of all of that. So should we, should we be in despair or put all our faith in the next person to get elected to that position? Or should we, say, should we rightfully interact to help our society at large while keeping our faith and our trust in Jesus to, uh, for his will to work out and not, not our faith in the person. So uh, retirement, money, possessions, all of those things are easy. You can get focused in tunnel vision on all this stuff. Um, you know, and, and again, are you maybe withholding a tithe so that you can invest in retirement or pay those bills. Um, last I checked, the tithe has a 100-time return. If you can find a 100-time return in any investment, I would be pretty impressed. So, and this is again thinking about investing in a an eternal, um, you know, investing to get eternal equity versus temporal equity. And when you're in an eternal eternal perspective in heaven forever, how much are you going to care about how big your 401k got or um, how much your stocks have grown over the last few months, right? So, again, that perspective is is huge, and it takes kind of a lot of focused thinking to really grasp how that perspective can completely change how things look. So, uh, and then the last one, this is, I think, a, I think a big one that I think is so easy to become an idol or a high place, and that's comfort. So when I think of comfort, the first thing that came to my mind was the American dream. And so I just did a quick look on the internet, uh, what is the American dream, just to see, like, where did that start? Was it, like, a, an advertisement that was ran, and then that just became a thing, or, or what? And so what it says here is, um, that might be a little small, but uh, in its earliest years, the dream was centered around the lure of westward expansion and frontier life within the U.S. In 1774, Virginia's governor, John Murray, said that most Americans were constantly imagining that the lands further off are still better than those which they are already settled. He also noted the constant dissatisfaction and desire for even more and even better when he said, if they attain paradise, they would move on if they heard of a better place farther west. So in their desire for comfort, they're willing to pass up paradise for the prospect of something better. So what does that tell me? It tells me that it's never good enough. There's no matter how comfortable you are, what you get, what you buy, how big your house is, anything, it's never good enough because you always hear that, oh, there's something better over here. Well, okay, now I got to go get that. And then you get it, and then it's, I've had it. You know, you you get that thing that you've been wanting to get, and you're like, oh, I finally got it. And then the feeling is just, I got it. It's not fulfillment, it's not satisfaction, it's just that I have it, and that's it. So, um, what are you working for? Are you working just to trade time for money? Or are you working five days so you can have two days off? Uh, or 
are you, are you looking for comfort in the only place that you can get comfort and satisfaction, and that's in Jesus? And so uh, that comfort, you will never get the comfort from the money and things and the materialism or the American dream. Uh, you can only get it from God. So that would, could be a high place that you're seeking what, comfort from somewhere you shouldn't be when you should be seeking that from God. So, um, and just to kind of further drive home this point, Ecclesiastes 1-2, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you, but uh, <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 1-2, it says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So who is saying this? This is Solomon, and he's getting toward the end of his life, and he's basically just trying to give all the advice, get everything out for his kids before he goes. And Solomon was the richest, wisest person, wisest king of the time, uh, and the, at first, this is an, a little bit of an example of started out really good, uh, doing a lot of good for, the, for, um, for his kingdom, and then, and then toward the end, he let his wives kind of lure him away into idolatry, and he starts uh, indulging himself in, in all kinds of luxuries and idolatrous practices, and then after all of that indulgence, from someone who can have literally anything he possibly could want because he is the richest person at the time, he realizes that, yeah, I, I, not only, it's not just theoretical, I have had everything, and it is all vanity. It does not satisfy. I'm telling you, son, please listen to me. You can't chase that. The only satisfaction and the only worthy cause of thing of chasing is God. So, um, and you know, it's funny, God calls us to worship Him, and it's not because He's, he's just a, uh, uh, he's, He just is looking for self-adoration, and He, you know, sometimes I've had discussions with people who aren't believers, and that's the, the view that they have of God, that, well, that's kind of selfish, like, He just wants us to just worship Him, right? But the thing is, is, first off, if He's an all-knowing, all-seeing creator of everything in the world, then even if that, that is his perspective, that he is just that, if that's what he has, he's the only one in the, in the entire universe, in all of existence, that rightly deserves that exact thing. He's the only one that deserves to be worshipped because he created everything. So uh, whenever people try to kind of paint that picture, it's because they're they're basically kind of equating God with themselves or human with man because no man is worthy of saying that and worthy of that praise, so why should he be? Well, you're not re recognizing that he is the creator of all the man. He actually deserves that and, that, and that is what we should be doing. But the thing is, all things work together for good for those who believe in him. God knows what's best for us too. And so out of all of this, vanity is vanities, he knows that the worship of these high places and these idols gives no satisfaction and it's empty. He knows that the worship of him gives fulfillment and gives salvation. And so not only does he deserve the worship, but he knows what's best for us and it's best for us to worship him. So it's kind of from both ways there. So, um, so now, so that's kind of the introduction. So how do we find these high places in our life? Um, first off, uh, Word of God, just like we said, we can't, um, 
we can't play the game if we don't know the rules. So we need to know God's preferences and commandments and, uh, so that we know what to follow and what direction to go and have that conviction. Jehoshaphat knew the law uh, innately, or not innately, but he knew it deeply because it, it talks about in Chronicles a little bit after our verse that he took down the high places after he aligned with Ahab, he went back, and then he sent out people to teach the law in all the land. So he is well versed in the law, and he still let that, those high places creep back in. And so um, we'll, we'll kind of come back a little bit to Jehoshaphat and the high places here in a minute. But uh, So how do we find the high places? We've got to read the Word of God so that we know where these places can exist and where they, examples of where they have existed for other people in the Bible. We also need uh, conviction. So... Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, right? So in John 16, 8, if you don't mind going there, John 16, 8, this is Jesus, Jesus speaking. And talking about conviction in John 16, 8. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So <clears throat> the Holy Spirit's job, one of his jobs, is to convict. And so uh, if we are saved, then uh, we will have that conviction. And we have to listen to that conviction and take the appropriate steps in response to that. So the conviction can be a good way to find those uh, high places in your life. And then the third thing, and maybe one, maybe the hardest, is you've got to be honest with yourself. So uh, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So uh, giving away the ending. All right, sermon's over. <laughs> it, sorry. If you could go back two slides for me, Don. Um, so Honestly, uh, we have to be honest with ourselves. So, heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it means it's hard for us to know, even know that we have a heart, a, a wicked heart. But then, even more so, how to what extent of wickedness is our heart? So, the Bible tells us it's going to be hard for us to even know this. So, if we go to verse thirty-three of our original text, Second Chronicles twenty, verse thirty-three, we're back to that but statement. Howbeit the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. So it's saying the high places were not taken away, and then the colon, because the people had not yet prepared their hearts. So we see that the preparation of the heart comes before the action from the conviction, right? And so if your heart's not in the right spot, how can you hear and heed that, that conviction? And how, how would you really desire to take that right step if your heart's not in the right spot. So a little bit of, uh, and, and honestly, when it comes down to it, uh, truth is truth, regardless of how you feel about it. So if I, if I don't think it's an issue, or no matter how much I try to convince myself or may convince myself that it's not an issue, it either is or it isn't an issue, and, that, and that's where you listen to that conviction and being honest with yourself and trying to see what the true motives behind what you're doing are. And then a little bit of an embarrassing uh, example here, but an example is uh, at, when I was a new believer, I was just sitting in, uh, in the office, and 
talking to another believer and just talking about God, and I don't remember exactly what the conversation was about, but at one point, it came to, uh, I was, I don't know, you probably know, I love dirt bikes, and so I was talking to him about dirt bikes, and I was saying, hey, yeah, like, one of my favorite things to do, favorite pastimes, is riding dirt bikes. Hitting a corner just perfect is, like, the best thing. I would fly a dirt, or I'd ride a dirt bike 10 times any day over flying an airplane, any airplane. And so, and he mentioned something to me that uh, he, he just said one comment. He said, if God asked you to give up your dirt bike, would you? And going back to being honest with yourself, um, you know, I, I want to grow. So I was honest with him and I was like, man, I don't, I don't think I could do that. Like, I really like my dirt bike. It's awesome. And I saw, I was like, I don't think I could. And, and all he says, okay. And that was it. Going forward, it was months that, that that comment that he said, if he asked you to give it up, would you, was constantly bouncing in my mind. I was constantly hearing it over and over and over and over. And I kept saying, I don't think I, I, don't think I could. I really love it. It's my favorite thing to do. And then... Uh, for months and months, and then eventually I got to a point where I was, and, and obviously we all know this is ridiculous, right? Like, why would I deny the creator of everything for a dirt bike? But my heart wasn't in the right spot, and after months and months of this repeating in my mind, I finally realized, yeah, no, that is ridiculous. Why would I, the created object, the thing that uh, will disintegrate in this life, why would I, why would I not give that up for eternity for what God has commanded me to do or asked me to do. And um, so that was just a moment of growth. And a couple things I took from that is, is the heart. You got to prepare the heart and it has to be in the right spot to take that step. But also as an encouragement, you know, to everyone is he probably doesn't even remember that conversation. He, I bet if I told him, he'd be like, uh, I don't, I don't remember talking to you. Uh, but that one comment that he made kept bouncing in my head over and over for months after the conversation. And that eventually led me to finally prepare my heart rightly, submit and say, yeah, no, absolutely. I would definitely give that up in a heartbeat if that was asked, you know. Um, so it's the Holy Spirit working and it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and change the heart. It's not your job. So when you're talking to people about the Bible or about God, it's you may think it's falling on deaf ears and that nothing happened and that you go away from it and you're like, well, that was a waste of time. And you may be frustrated because you're not seeing anything happen. But he didn't see anything happen. And months later, from something insignificant, I'm sure, to him, it changed my heart and how I viewed it. So these things, a passing comment that you have no idea can make a whole difference in someone's life and maybe not for months or years, but it happens. And so um, just as a little bit of encouragement when you're sharing your faith or talking, having these discussions. So, all right. So that's kind of how we find the high places. Um, next, what can we do about it? So we got to cut them down, right? So easy answer, just cut them down. The harder part, it's kind of a two-part what we need to do is we need to submit. So we think about salvation and how can we be saved? It's by putting our faith in Jesus. But what does that mean? It, have I put enough faith in Jesus? Or how much faith do I need to put? And should I put more? Or have I put enough? And 
uh, I'm not sure. Well, it really comes down to submission because you're submitting and accepting. You're submitting to, uh, or you're submitting to His will, and you're accepting your helplessness. You're saying that, okay, I fully surrender. That I have no hope but through You. That there is absolutely nothing I can do to help my situation. I am already damned. It's only through you that this situation can turn around. So putting your faith in Jesus, it's that, it's that submission and, uh, of your will and acceptance of our helplessness. And if you're submitting to his will, his will will not include idols. So by default, if you are doing his will and seeking his, his ways, then a lot of these idols will already be cut down. And they'll probably be cut down immediately, some of those uh, it, those some of those high places in your life. And then, there, like we said, there are some that are in those blind spots. But, um, so that's, that's the first step of cutting these down is submitting. The second is continued obedience. So uh, again, I'll just read this. You don't have to flip there. But Second Chronicles 17, 6, um, it, this is basically the beginning of Jehoshaphat's reign. And it's just introducing him, basically. And it says, And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. So... Now, hold up. We had the but statement that said he didn't take down the high places, but now here in the introduction it says, moreover, he took away the high places. So how is this possible? Well, there's kind of two trains of thought here, but um, either way is wrong. So one is he started out, and he was eager for the Lord, and he said, yeah, I'm going in guns blazing, and I'm cutting down all the high places. They're all gone. So in the beginning, he cut down all the high places, and he did what was right, but somewhere along his reign, or maybe just a gradient as he went, he allowed these things to creep back in, and he just accepted it. He just, he just let that keep happening. Um, so that's one. Now we have idolatry back in Judah. Um, if, uh, oh, the second way is that possibly he cut down all the idolatrous high places, but he left the high places that were to God. And so that's that that kind of innocent compromise part that we talked about earlier, where these high places could be an innocent compromise. Like, okay, my whole kingdom wants these high places. I'm going to cut down all the idolatrous ones, but I'm going to leave the one to God because it's God, and we'll let that slide. The problem is, is that the uh, temple has already been built in Israel, and God has commanded that the worship offering sacrifice is done at the temple. So they're, they're not to go to the high places even to worship God because he has commanded that this is done in the temple. So either way, they're either being idolatrous in that they are worshiping idols in high places or they are worshiping God incorrectly, which is now putting their desires over his commandments, idolatry. So, um, so with that, one of the big things I take from that is that one victory is not eternal victory while we're on this earth. So you can have a victory and cut down a high place in your life. That doesn't mean that high place won't get rebuilt because you have to continuously watch out for that. And it's so easy to let these things creep back in. And now you got a high place again because you're just step by step moving towards this way when you should be going this way. So uh, it's and that's why I say it's not just obedience, it's continued obedience, because it, it's a constant reassessment of how, how is my heart and what am I placing, where am I placing my emphasis here. Um, you know, none of you have this problem, but I, I wouldn't mind losing about 15 pounds. 
Uh, and the problem is that every day I go into work, there are donuts and cookies and candy and every single thing that I should not eat if I'm trying to lose 15 pounds. And it is a battle every day uh, to not eat that stuff. And the days that I go in, I'm like, no, I'm not eating these delicious donuts unless you have bad bakers and then I'll have one. But I'm not eating this today. And so I, and I, I hold strong to it and I don't eat it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you feel like victorious and a sense of accomplishment. You're proud of yourself. And you're like, yeah, that temptation had nothing on me. And I went by and I'm good to go. The problem is, is then now I've, I've spent all my resistance on that. And then I come home and Haley's made the best dessert in the entire world. And purely uh, just to honor my wife, I have to eat it. So, and then, and obviously the more I eat the dessert, the more I'm honoring my wife. So I might as well finish it because if I don't, I have to resist it tomorrow. So just eat it all right now. And, and so that's, that's kind of what it is. It's the same battle throughout the day. And you, you have a win here, but you could easily have a failure right next to it. And so you have to constantly be strong. And that's building up your strength that comes from God uh, and, and keeping in the Bible and growing in that. So, so that's how we, uh, some ways we can find the high places. That's uh, what we do about it, cut them down. And then third, we, uh, we continue in the faith. So again, back to, it seems like there might be an importance here of reading the Bible. Um, if we are to cut them down through submission and continued obedience, how do we know what that looks like but by reading the Bible? And the Bible is giving us example after example of good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. And learning from all those different um, examples and characters in the Bible here, you, you can you can strengthen yourself to resist those same things that, because there's nothing new under the sun, right? So we have the same battles even today. And so just a couple things come to mind. Um, Jesus in the garden, he, this is Jesus himself, and he's saying, he's sweating, tear, or sweating blood while praying, saying, can you please do it some other way? Like, maybe not. And then, but then we have a but statement, but now this is a good but statement. It's, I would rather not do this, but nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And so in submission and obedience to God, the outcome of that was salvation of all those who believe. So even though in that insane situation that hopefully no one is, that we are never put in, he still submitted and obeyed, and the outcome was eternal salvation for for humans, so for those who believe. Uh, The second one, Esther. Mordecai finds out that all the Jews are to be killed. Uh, he tells Esther, hey, I need you to go to the king and try to fix this situation. And she goes, whoa, if I go to the king and he hasn't called me, he's going to kill me. So I, I can't do that. And Mordecai goes, whoa, don't, don't be so sure that just because you're in the, in the, king, in the castle that you're not going to be killed as soon as he finds out that you're a Jew too. So you're no different than us. You'll be right behind us. So she goes, okay. I may, I may die, but I need you to pray for me, and I need you to fast for me, and I'm going to go to the king. And so, at the threat of death, and what seemed, based on what we read to her, seemed pretty certain that she was probably going to be killed for this, she still submitted and obeyed, and the outcome was saving the Jewish people, right, and continuing that line. So, and then the third one, Jericho. 
I don't know about you, but if I was going to take over a city and someone told me, just march around it for a few days and blow a horn and then carry the ark with you, I would have been like, okay, that's uh, a good suggestion. I'm going to look for a different way. But this came from God, and so they obeyed and they submitted. They walked around a city blowing a horn, and the walls fell and the city was overtaken through obedience and submission. So we see time and time again how, um, through reading the Bible, how submitting and obeying reaps the rewards that God has for us. So, uh, I'm sorry, I, th I think I'm going long. I, I don't actually know what time it ends, but uh, I think I'm going long. So uh, I'm almost I'm toward the end here. So uh, seek counsel. We're all on a different point in our uh, spiritual walk and our uh, maturity. Seeking counsel, you need to find people who have the wisdom that maybe you don't have yet um, or just have different experiences from you, than you uh, and take advantage of what they have to offer. And, and how are you going to, if you have a blind spot, means you're blind to that spot, how are you going to find out what that is if you don't bring in a third party to take a look at your situation and say, there might be something here I'm, just from what I'm seeing. And they can help point out those, uh, those spots and edify you and grow you and strengthen you. So looking for that. And, you know, I, sometimes I worry that I might annoy some of you a lot because when I have an issue that I'm looking for guidance or I'm not sure what to do, I tend to, like, tell my situation to every single person that I see. And it's not because I'm looking for pity or uh, sympathy or anything like that whatsoever. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to see what is your suggestion and what, what do you have to offer. Because the more perspectives I can get, then I can keep filling all this information and all these outcomes and avenues that I can take. And, and now I have this whole cornucopia of possibilities that I can now look and try to discern which one is the best from that. And if you're, only, if you're seeking that wise counsel, you're going to get wise suggestions. And um, so I would, I would encourage you to, uh, to seek that counsel and try to get those different perspectives and that help from people who might be farther along than you. All right. And then lastly, continuing in the faith is praying. So God does and he will answer prayers. The problem is, is that, or maybe not the problem, uh, the thing is, is that it's on his timing, not yours. And the possible answer to your prayer might be no. So just like uh, with God's timing, think about if in that conversation about uh, if God asked you to give up the dirt bike, would you? If he was hanging on that and he was saying, this is going to, this is going to change him right here. And I said, no, I don't think so. And then we part ways. How frustrating would that be if he was like, oh, I prayed for it. It didn't happen. I said it. I obeyed. But it took months for me, for that change to take place in me. But the change did take place. So, you know, I, and I don't know what, what, his, if he, what he was praying for or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that it happened on, on God's time and it's not on our time. And so we got to know that, uh, that his way is the best way and, and trust in that no matter what's going on. So, so that's, that's pretty much it. So the big things, are there any places in your life that you might have a blind spot, from, uh, blind spot of and, or that maybe you have conviction 
that you haven't taken any steps to rid that from your life or do what that urging is telling you to do, then take that good look, that good hard look at yourself. Be honest with yourself and work on preparing your heart for that submission and obedience. So, um, all right, that's all I got. We'll pray. Let's see. Invitation? Yeah? Okay. All right. Um, Well, I'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll we'll have the invitation. Dear God, thank you for allowing me to um, relay the conviction that I've had in my life to everyone here. I pray that it it helps them going forward, it strengthens them and encourages them, and uh, and I pray that your will be done throughout, uh, throughout the week, and I pray for all those who are ailing in our family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.